It's time for Money Talk, your chance to call in and receive answers to all your financial questions, from investment management to planning for your retirement and beyond. The experts at BC Wealth Management are here to help, so you don't have to navigate these difficult financial decisions alone. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. Call in now, 356-9397. And now here is Money Talk. And good morning and welcome to Busey's Money Talk. I'm your host, Kurt Anderson, along with my uh, co-host, Aaron Sutton, Senior Vice President, Investment Portfolio Manager at Busey. And uh, glad to have you uh, listening to the program today because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, that is behavioral finance. Uh, I just always find it fascinating, and we've brought a special guest today who I'll introduce in just a few moments. But I'm going to go right to uh, Aaron, and Aaron, uh, bring us an update with uh, about what's been going on the last month in the markets and maybe uh, today. Yeah, so as always, a lot to talk about. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Since our last show, uh, really markets have been flat uh, for the most part here in the U.S. Uh, we've kind of had a mixed bag of some economic reports come out here recently. Uh, so it would appear maybe the market's losing a little bit of steam here over the last few days. But again, uh, as I'm going to show with the numbers here year to date, we're still at a fantastic place uh, year to date. So pretty natural for the market to cool off from time to time. Um, and so we'll get into those numbers. But maybe before I do that, I thought I would just uh, talk about a few of the economic reports that have come out recently. So we had the unemployment claims come out this morning, uh, always comes out this time of month. And those fell for a fourth straight week. Uh, so it's always good to see those going down. Uh, they fell to 348,000, uh, which is actually a new pandemic low. So certainly headed in the right direction as far as those unemployment claims. Um, and that slightly beat expectations as well. So it would appear that, uh, again, the economy is on very strong footing, uh, seeing a very strong labor market. I know I talk to a lot of business owners. I'm sure you do, Kurt everybody's talking about, you know, struggling to find employees in this market. And so there are certainly jobs out there to be had. Um, and, yeah, uh, we're seeing that reflected in some of the data. You know, not only are they having a hard time finding people to work, but at the same time they're saying they're having the best years they've ever had. That's true. You know, as far as business and revenue and growth, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting dilemma that they're up against right now. But is it sustainable? I think that's the, that's the question. Yep, exactly. Now, an interesting thing, what we're going to see here in just a few weeks is those enhanced unemployment benefits are going to roll off uh, here in early September. So that may ease things up a little bit, maybe encourage some people to come back to the workplace. So again, we'll just have to wait about another month or two to see uh, what impact that has. Uh, now, talking about the business environment, uh, we did get a retail sales report here recently, uh, and those fell about 1.1% in July. So Things are cooling off a little bit from a retail standpoint, but again, we're coming off some very high numbers. Uh, and so again, it's kind of natural for things to cool off just a little bit there. Uh, again, expectations were for a slight decrease. And if you look into the numbers a little bit, it's pretty self-explanatory what happened. Uh, auto sales were one of the biggest uh, weak spots. And we've talked about that before with the shortage in chips. Uh, those sales have been struggling here a little bit. And so that weighed on overall retail sales. Uh, in the month of July. Now the bright spot, and again, this goes to what we were just talking about, uh, restaurant sales uh, were actually up 1.7%. So again, it looks like people are getting out again. Uh, now granted, uh, we have this little bit of resurgence here uh, in the COVID situation. Uh, so that may uh, change a little bit in the coming months. But for right now, 
uh, restaurant sales had been pretty strong. Uh, and then finally, the last report I wanted to touch on was industrial production. Uh, that actually rose 0.9% in July. Uh, that was actually the fastest pace since March. And, but that is still below pre-pandemic level. So like I said, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. We had you know, kind of the weak sales report, but a little better industrial report. So all in all, like I said, um, you know, I think for the most part, uh, the market's going to hold on to these gains here. But uh, over the last few days, we have cooled off just a little bit. So maybe to put some numbers behind that, uh, since our last show, uh, the S&P 500 is up about 0.6%, so a very slight gain there. But year-to-date, it's still up over 18%. Again, just a fantastic <laughs> year. Uh, We'd take half of that. Exactly. Uh, that <laughs> would be, be a happy. good return for a full year. <clears throat> uh, and in fact, what I looked at too, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is going back five years, uh, the return is actually around 18% per year. Uh, for that S&P 500 index. So, again, very strong return there. And, again, it would be natural for things to cool off a little bit. Yeah. You know, the last time I remember for a extended period of time that you had 18% returns were the 90s. Uh, in fact, I think the decade of the 90s that the average rate return for the S&P was 18%. Exactly. And, you know, I think people still have that in the back of their mind. <clears throat> um and what we're seeing now is valuations are looking a little stretched. So if you look at the forward PE right now, it's around 21 or so. Um, that's above the 10-year average of about 16. So valuations are certainly elevated, but you bring up the late 90s there. We are nowhere near uh, kind of the levels we saw back then. I remember, then. right, those were like 27, 28. They were pretty oh, yeah. high. Yeah, pretty high. exactly. That was certainly bubble territory. Um, so things are elevated now, but nef- not, not de- there. Yeah, definitely not Tell there. me about Europe. I've heard that Europe, uh, the valuations are low, and they're kind of hitting highs. Yeah. Uh, the international market, uh, since our last show, has actually been the best performing. So it's up about 1.7% since our last show. Uh, year-to-date, up about 11%. And that's that MSCI EFA index that I'm talking about. And so, like you said, it's mostly Europe and Japan. Uh, so that market's been holding up well. On the flip side, where we've really seen some struggles in the, is in the emerging markets, uh, particularly in China. So some of our listeners may have seen this news out there. Uh, China is really cracking down on some of their industries, kind of increasing some of the regulation. Uh, so we've seen announcements or around control. <laughs> yeah, increasing control, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Shocking. Exactly. So we've seen some regulations around um, edu- private education firms, uh, gaming companies, uh, and also uh, recently uh, contract drivers. So basically, the Uber equivalent in China uh, seeing some increased regulation. So that market is actually down about 6% since our last show, uh, and is now basically down 1% for the year. So a little bit of a disappointing uh, performance there, and again, mostly driven by what's been happening in China. Sure, sure. News recently talking about tapering. Yeah. Uh, the Fed minutes, I guess, included you know, language to the effect that probably later on this year there would be a start tapering. What effect is that going to have on the stock market and on interest rates? Yeah, great question. So for our listeners that aren't really familiar with that, what that term means or what we're referring to there, uh, what's happening right now is the Federal Reserve is actually buying a lot of bonds in the open market every month. Uh, it's actually about $120 billion worth of bonds that they're buying. 
Uh, it's about $80 billion in Treasury bonds and about $40 billion in mortgage-backed bonds. So what tapering refers to is actually dialing back the amount of purchases they're making each month. So, uh, yeah, like you said, we got the Fed minutes that came out. Um, originally, the Fed was talking about maybe tapering next year, but because of the strength of the economy, because inflation is picking up, I think a lot of the Fed governors are now willing to maybe start tapering a little earlier. So uh, we may start to see that before the end of the year. And to address your question, what that might do to the stock market is, it's probably going to put some pressure on the stock market. Um, lower rates have forced a lot of people to invest in the stock market just to try to get any type of return because uh, interest rates are so low right now. So if those rates start to rise, well, then bonds are going to start competing with the stock market again. So, again, it may lead to the market cooling off a little bit. Uh, now, granted, I don't want to you know scare anybody out there. When I say cooling off, it doesn't mean we're due for a pullback or anything like that. It means this pace of increase may start to slow down a little bit, which would be very natural for the market. I mean, let's face it. Let's say it go, the 10-year goes from one and a quarter. I know the Fed doesn't control the 10-year, but let's just use the 10-year as an example. It goes from 125 to 225, okay? Yeah. Is that still, that doesn't really even keep pace with inflation. So yeah. the stock market's still going to be the major game in town. You're exactly right. And I think the dividend yield on the market's still about 1.5%. Uh, the long-term average for that 10-year Treasury bond is probably closer to 4 or 5%. So like you said, even if it gets to, you know, two and a quarter, two and a half, you're still half of what it used to be, you know, over the long term. So, sure. no, you're exactly right. Uh, it still has quite a ways to go, I think, before it really puts pressure on the stock market. Okay, great. Well, we're going to move into our topic for the day, and that is behavioral finance. And if you really think of the purpose of the of Money Talk to begin with, is maybe a little bit of entertainment, uh, maybe a little bit of education, but it's to arm people with information that they can use to make intelligent financial decisions, not just investments, but financial decisions. And that's a whole, you know, that's this whole concept, I think, of behavioral finance and, and, and helping people do that and think through things logically. And, and as our guest today, we've got Dries Dernay. Dries is a, is a CFP and a financial planning specialist with Busey. And welcome, Dries. Thank you, Kurt. Glad welcome. to have you on the program. Dries, you probably you do not know this, but I was the very first financial planner at Busey and the very first CFP at Busey, and now we have like 50. <laughs> 50 CFPs, I think, I on staff or something that. like that. But anyway, uh, I digress. Just a little information for you there. But, Dries, tell us, what is behavioral finance? Good question. So according to Investopedia, it's the study of the influence of psychology on the behavior of investors and or financial analysts. So it focuses on explaining why investors often appear to lack self-control, act against their own best interest, and make decisions based on personal biases and emotions instead of facts. Now, put that, to put that simply, it explores the link of human psychology and emotions with finances and financial decisions. Yeah. And, you know, Aaron and I were talking about this today. I said, you know, that, that you know, people were not wired to make good financial decisions. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, is the fact that we, that we get caught up in emotions. And typically the emotions that will really seriously influence negatively uh, your performance uh, long-term or just any investment decision you make is fear or greed or some combination thereof. And, uh, and so you know, and we see that happen all the time. So is, do you see that as well? Can, 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. Even uh, in in my own household, every time the market does a pullback, my wife immediately asks, "Are we going to lose all our money?" <laughs> you know, I, I have to explain. No, you know, it, it's fine. You know, just we don't need the money right now. Anyway, it's there for the long term, so don't worry. But it's it's that fear, indeed. It, I think, and fear is a, a very powerful emotion, and it's. Uh, um, I think, yeah, the, the number one example is, of course, during a market pullback. Um, right. It's when uh, people get nervous. But behavioral finance goes so much farther than just investments. Give us some other examples, and let's talk about the non-investment-related issues or things around behavioral finance. Gladly. Um, as a financial planner, of course, I think of it um, – I think a lot about investments, but I also think about it in a larger context and how emotions play into that. And I would say that um, human emotions and psychology is what makes financial planning so much fun for me. Um, don't get me wrong, the numbers, the values, the, the math behind financial planning is important. It's very important. But it's also tying that to those hard numbers to all the soft stuff, meaning like the emotions and the, the, uh, the client's behavior, their attitudes, their their feelings and, and, and what they're like as a person, that is, that is what makes every financial plan unique, I think. And so um, it, it's something that, um, that with financial planning, we look at the numbers, that's our job, but it's also our job to take into account the human emotion and the human psychology because it's all part of that larger context. Really, I, I believe that each client is different and you have to figure out what makes them tick, exactly. right? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a really big part of it. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, probably the number one question, believe it or not, I get asked has nothing to do with investments. It's, should I pay my mortgage off? Yeah. I mean, think about that. I, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you've got a 2.5% mortgage, okay, 2.5% mortgage that could be maybe tax deductible, right? And you want to take, take money out of your por investment portfolio that's earning 8% to pay off something that you're getting charged 2.5% on. And that... But, but the emotion is, I don't want to have debt. I hate debt. But there is good debt and bad debt. But it's that emotional thing that kind of gets in the way of not logically thinking it through. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's a great example because it's also one of the questions that we deal with a lot in financial planning, like, uh, you know, should I pay off my mortgage? And we can make, um, and a lot of times, you know, if, if there's a, we, we make a case for one or the other, depending on the client situation. But in the end, I always tell them, look, even though, I think it makes sense in your case, for example, to, to not pay it off prematurely to keep, you know, it's, it's better for you in the long term to keep the money invested instead of using that same money to pay off your mortgage. But I always tell them in the end, like, but if this mortgage is, is causing you this much, uh, like, stress. They can't sleep at night. Exactly. If, if it bothers you that much, then sure, yeah, we can, you know, th that's important too, to take that into account. And then maybe we should think about trying to pay this off early. Um, so it, it's it's definitely it, it's part of that decision making process. It, it's and thinking with the head versus the heart, and that kind of conflict. Exactly, and and I think it's important to, again, the numbers we because we have to also look at it, things objectively. That's why, as a financial planner, you're an outsider that can that can maybe discard that emotion. But at the same time, you know, we have to also think of the client's emotions and psychology too. Great, thank you, Dries. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to Busey's Money Talk. Ensuring peace of mind, expanding business, building strong communities. Realize your financial dreams with Busey Bank. For more than 150 years, Busey's built a foundation of broad financial capabilities, vast knowledge, and close relationships that span generations. You can realize your best future. Busey's right beside you. Member FDIC. 
You want your children and grandchildren to focus on their future, not tuition. For more than 150 years, Busey Bank has partnered with families and businesses to establish impactful, enduring legacies. Busey's experienced advisors can help build plans and develop strategies that work as hard as you do, evolving to create lasting impact for your family and legacy. Learn more at Busey.com. Member FDIC. And welcome back to Money Talk. I'm your host, Kurt Anderson, with my co-host, Aaron Sutton. And our special guest today is Dries Dernay, who's a certified financial planner and a financial planning specialist at Busey Wealth Management. And we're talking about the subject of behavioral finance. Let's talk about the financial planning process in general and how that plays in. Because, And I want your opinion on this, but here's what I find. Most people that come to us for financial planning know they're okay, but they're just coming as to va- for validation. Right, but the people that really need it don't come because they're afraid what the results are going to be, and they simply don't want to know it. But that in itself gets in way of them being successful financially. Do you see that, Dre's? Dre's? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, as you, you said correctly, uh, most of the plans that come across my desk, most situations, they, they, you know, the people are just fine, and so um, you know, we always want to add value, and, and but. A lot of times in those cases, the value of the financial planning process is the reassurance, is the validation. Um, and I, I love also when I'm able to, to do that, you know, yes, you're going to be fine. And because and, you can see this this weight being lifted off their shoulders. Oh, thank God. You know, even though they kind of knew it already, but it's like they have someone else just validating it. And and so uh, and at the same time, you know, it's um, the people that need financial planning maybe the most because there needs to be some nudges and some 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 things put in place here and there to to make sure that they're okay um you know that that they might not want to be told that because it's it's you know it's it's counterintuitive and it's unfortunate because I think that's where a lot of times that's where I feel I have the biggest impact with the people that I can really help through the financial planning process um but, uh, yeah, it's um, – so I, I do see that. No, and I so agree. And I really like to encourage our listeners out there to explore, whether it's with Busey or somebody else, going through the financial planning process. Because to your point is that we don't get to see enough of the people we could really help. Because if you wait too long, so much of what is going to make you successful is driven by time and having the time to implement strategies and things to do that. And if we don't get to have that conversation early enough, and there's, while there's still things we can do to get, to, get, to get you where you want to be, it's too late. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's all about pulling, right, the number of levers that you have at your disposal. Um, if you had just retired and you come to me, am I going to be okay? Yeah, let's see. And then, but then the levers we can pull is either potentially be either maybe more aggressive with our investments, which is not always fun, or reducing expenditure. But if you're still working and you still have maybe 10 years to go, there's more levers we can pull. We can save more. We can maybe, uh, you know, save differently. Um, you know, there's, we just have more levers we can pull to, 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 to make sure that you're going to be okay as opposed to, you know, by, by the time it, it's, you're retired and the, that lever's already pulled, it, it's right. We can no longer – it's hard to tell someone, you need to go back to work. Um, and I try, <laughs> or you, know, you need to work a year or two longer. Exactly. Or you need to cut. You need to expect instead of X, you're going to earn Y in retirement. Exactly. I'd, like I'd rather tell someone that 10 years in advance this, so they can prepare emotionally and mentally for that as opposed to like they just said, hey, I'm going to retire at the end of this year. And I tell them, ah, you know, it's maybe – 
unless you reduce your expenditure, you, you may want to consider working a little longer. Right. Well, Dries, thank you. And I'm going to switch back now to Aaron Sutton because we're going to take this same conversation about, about uh, behavioral finance and apply it to simply investing. And uh, what are your thoughts along those lines, Aaron? Yeah, so a lot of thoughts there. And I think the first one being when you're talking about behavioral finance, one of the key concepts, and this has been shown time and time again, is that when people experience losses versus gains, those losses impact them much more uh, than a gain does. Yeah, they, feel, they feel the pain of the losses much more than the pleasure of the gains. That's exactly right. So one of the things we try to do for our clients, uh, and this is one of our core philosophies, is we're big believers in diversification. So spreading your assets out in a very thoughtful way, diversifying the portfolio to try to minimize that downside as much as possible. Um, and one way to do that is to invest in a lot of different things, a lot of different asset classes that are uncorrelated or at least uh, less correlated to each other than maybe a traditional portfolio might put you in. So yeah. from an investment standpoint, that, that's one of the critical things we do uh, is that diversification of the portfolios. And along these same lines, and Kurt, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is I, what I found in my experience too is one thing that can really help clients weather volatility in the markets, because we know it's gonna come, is if they have a nice cushion of cash in the bank. Mm -hmm. And we typically advise you know, an emergency fund of probably around six months or so, it's kind of the standard advice. But for those clients that are maybe a little more nervous, maybe just holding a little extra cash in your bank account can make you a little less worried about the volatility in the market. And I've seen that uh, time and time again, and so I, I'm yeah, guessing you have too. And I think that's true, and I'd also it is, I, I agree with you, yeah. but I also agree, there's no but, <laughs> I agree that, that one of the things I do when I'm sitting down with a client is I've gotta really assess their risk tolerance. Exactly. Um, not their emotional risk tolerance, not their financial risk tolerance, how much risk they can take, but their emotional risk tolerance, because it doesn't matter if, you know, and a lot of times, if they're younger, let's say, I know they should be more aggressively invested, but I start less aggressively and kind of ease them into it. So maybe they suffer a little bit of volatility and let's see how the reaction is and things like that. And then let's let's start moving them up. Uh, but if I go with what I really believe they should invest if it was me mm -hmm. and they're not me, then they might not be able to handle that volatility. And then they're out and they're gone and they don't reap the rewards from long-term investing. Oh, exactly. I did that one time, had a bad experience. I'm never doing it again. When yet, over the long term, everybody has a great experience <laughs> if you leave it in long enough exactly. or has historically. Exactly. And, yeah, that's one of the key components of financial planning. I'm sure Drees would echo these thoughts is, yeah, it's looking at both of those aspects. We kind of like to refer to it as your capacity to take risk and then your willingness to take risk. And both are equally important. Like you said, you can't really dismiss one over the other. Yeah. Um, because the way this really works in the end, and the, the way we like to approach it is really learning everything about our clients, learning their goals, their risk tolerance, everything we've just talked about, and then setting an allocation for them, and then really sticking with that uh, through all market environments. Right. Obviously, as the investment team, we're going to make adjustments you know, under the hood, uh, but that overall arching allocation, the one between you know, really your stock investments or your growth investments and the safer fixed income investments, we really like to keep that consistent over time unless the client's situation changes uh, versus trying to time the market, you know, getting in and out, 
uh, trying to avoid losses. That's really a recipe for disaster. And we see a lot of people end up doing that on their own. And okay. uh, that's really the, the key thing to avoid. So do me a favor. Sure. Say to our audience what you told me this morning. <laughs> okay. And I'm not sure. embarrassed about that. Yeah. I think it's an important concept. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I'm a member of our investment team. We like to think that we're very important to the process. And, and we very are. smart. And we are. Uh, but at the end of the day, the way I like to frame it is, we can build out the absolute best portfolio out there. You know, from a risk-adjusted return standpoint, uh, we've got everything right. We've got the right mix of assets, the best stocks, the best bonds in there. But at the end of the day, if our clients don't stick with that or don't use it appropriately, it, it ruins everything. You know, if if they can't stick with it through the first market downturn, and they all they, you know they go all to cash or get out of the market, well, then it really doesn't matter the portfolio we built out for them. Yeah. So. The best thing we can do is really, um, and this is from an advisory standpoint, a psychological standpoint, is working with our clients, making them comfortable uh, through these market events that we know are going to happen, keep them focused on the long term. And one of the best ways to do that is with the financial plan, we can always refer back to that. Uh, and Drees can probably talk a little bit about this, but one of the key things we like to do with the financial plan is stress test it. So what happens to your situation, your portfolio, if we have a 07, 08 type event? I know that's a key step in their process. Oh, yeah, indeed. Like um, with almost every financial plan, that's one of our favorite stress sets, simulate 2008, and, you know, and see would it, would it jeopardize your financial mm -hmm. security. And, and, and if the answer is no, then, then you know, I always say, look, it, it's not, if that would happen, it's not fun, but you, you, it's not going to uh, uh, – jeopardize that financial security in the long term. So, you know, plead that's important. And, and hopefully, when it, if it does happen, people will, can think back, oh, yeah, but, you know, I, it, I should be fine long term. You know, and I think another aspect of that is, right, of making people comfortable is a little bit of education, right? And that's what I love about the financial plan process, too. Like, because the more you understand it, maybe the more of that fear gets taken away. Mm -hmm. Why is my wife to her, go back to her? Why is she so uncomfortable when there's a market turn? Because she doesn't fully understand it. You know, it's an unrealized loss right now. Honey, don't make it real by, by, by selling, right? And so, but if once you, the more you understand about it, maybe the less, the less, the less those emotions get the better of you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to phrase what I asked you a little bit differently. I'm, I'm going to answer <laughs> right. it a different way. Right. Is I think you said, you know what our real value is at the end of the day is keeping you in the market when you want to get out and yeah. keeping you out of the market when you want to get in. Yes. Right? Is that, would that be a true statement? That sums it up perfectly. And, and because, again, left our own emotions, we get caught up in fear and greed. And people tell me every day, I was reading this, I saw this, my brother-in-law told me that. By the way, I've gotten into trouble with my brother-in-law for saying that before. <laughs> um, and because it, it's kind of like if it bleeds, it leads in the newspaper mm -hmm. business. Oh, it, yeah. it, they want it, That's how they get you to read articles is by talking to make to making you feel, feel for, fearful or greedy, one mm -hmm. of the two. And, you know, one of the values, uh, you know, today and over my entire career, a lot of people have gravitated towards doing it yourself, which is great. There's a lot of people can do it themselves, and that's fine. I'm not saying that doesn't have a place whatsoever. But if you're not completely confident in your abilities to do it yourself, the real value I think we provide at Busey Wealth Management, not only in investing, but all these other things, Dries, you were talking about making decisions about your mortgage, about anything, is the fact that we've worked with thousands upon thousands uh, of, of clients over the years. I mean, right now at VC, we have over 10,000 wealth clients. And uh, we have seen people make money, 
and lose money in every conceivable way. We've seen people make good financial decisions and bad financial decisions. And what we take is those lessons learned from those thousands of people that come before you, (laughs) and we apply them to you so we help you not make those mistakes. And I think a real good example is getting in and out thing. If you look at our average client, has been with us 15 to 20 years. Vanguard, for example, great mutual fund company, nothing wrong with Vanguard. Their clients have average about two to four years. Why? Because they don't have anybody keeping them in when they want to get out, and they go in and out and in and out, which is a futile exercise over the long period of time. So whatever, so there are so many things that we can bring to the table. And this is, I don't mean just to be an advertisement, but just having somebody that helps you manage those emotions. Exactly, yeah. The objective, uh, a more or less objective person just helping and guiding you along a little bit and just holding your hand when needed. And, uh, you know, and just, just the person that can also maybe discard some of that emotion that you feel about your own money. And that's why, you know, when I'm retired, do I want to do it all myself? I'm not sure. Maybe not. I, I, maybe I'd rather have someone just doing it for me and that I don't have to really worry about it. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? You know, real quick, you brought, you know, uh, the news cycle and what bleeds it leads and all that. And I, I would just probably say that's even gotten exacerbated in these days. You know, well, but the 24-hour news cycle, social media, you exactly. name it. Exactly. It's being fed directly to your phone, all these articles, and they've got it down to a science uh, of how to get you engaged. And so uh, I would say it's become even more important today than maybe it was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation. We're going to have this again because uh, there are so many things along these lines we could really talk about. So, again, I'd like to, add to, to thank Aaron Sutton, you know, Investment Portfolio Manager with Busey, Dries Dernier. Thank you so much for being here, Dries. And you're listening to News Talk 1400 WDWS in Champaign-Urbana.